This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Okay, so, uh, you know, if you've been to a theme park with a child, it's a fun, thrilling, exciting event until it isn't. There's that moment, maybe around 4 or 5 o'clock, when you've been walking and it's hot, there's been rain, and you're kind of wet, you've had too many uh, snacks that aren't healthy, and so you're just worn out. And there's that just kind of point in the day when the kids are just really struggling. But then if God is gracious to you and you have a stroller, one of those giant things, the child begins just to sit down, just take a break. Sit down. Just rest in that stroller. And they're still fighting and wanting to ride the ride. But at some point, at some point you can see there's like longer blinks. Like they're like just trying to keep their eyes open. And you can see just this sweet sleep that is beginning to settle on the child. But they're just fighting against it, fighting against it. But there's just the, the overwhelming enthusiasm and fun for the day is just too much for them. And finally, they succumb to this beautiful deep sleep that no amount of rain or mosquitoes or bumpy roads can wake them from. They're in this deep slumber. And you're just like, oh, we can take a break now. You know that feeling when you're really tired and you're trying to stay awake and you're distracted and you're worn out, but you've got to be alert. You've got to be watchful and you just can't fight it anymore. Well, in this verse, Paul says, to the church in Corinthians, be watchful. It also means to be alert. The, the Greek word is Gregorio. Gregorio. So if you know anybody named Greg, you can tell him, hey, your name means woke. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't say that to him. That's a loaded term, right? But it means to wake up and to be alert as to what's going on. And so I think what Paul is inviting us to consider in this last chapter of this letter is how we can be alert and to be awake in the world in which we live. Because doesn't the world in which we live, it doesn't always feel like a theme park. Maybe it feels like a theme park at that 3, 4, and 5 o'clock hour when you've been having some fun, but man, you are worn out. You are worn down. You are tired. You're navigating all of the challenges of life. And there are seasons that we all have when we think about what's happening in our city, what's happening in our family, all the difficult issues that we're facing. We feel worn down and we just want to kind of say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And Paul, at the end of this letter, is saying to us to be watchful. I think God is calling us to deep and profound rest. That's important. But he's also calling us to be alert. And we know that that's hard. We're distracted, we're diverted, we're disappointed. And so we stop paying attention sometimes to God's word. We don't take it up and read it. We don't think about God's goodness and what he's done for us. And it moves us to isolation. It moves us to pull back from relationships. It makes us unwilling to serve and enter into difficult spaces and difficult relationships. And so then Paul says to us, Look, just read this letter that I've written to my brothers and sisters in Corinth. Take it up and read it. Listen to it. He gives us a word of correction. He gives us a word of hope. Remember, in Corinthians, uh, love is not a feeling. It, it can be a feeling thing, but it's an action that we take. 
And so when Jesus takes action on our behalf, it moves us to take action in a loving way on the behalf of others. And so this whole letter has been uh, written so that the people in Corinth can live in a new way. Remember the culture in which they're living, right? It's, it's, a, it's a, a big city with commerce. There's materialism. Uh, there's a temple there and all that goes on in and with and through that temple, the cultural practices of the day. And they've been called out to be a people, a church of people that are seeking to pursue a life that's been recalibrated with the word of God. And it's a, it's a world that says, hey, look, the way you find yourself is to get more of what you want. It's to fulfill your desires, to just go for it. You only live once. This is your chance. And yet Paul is calling them to something more deep and more profound. Because here's the thing. We live in a world that's like the church in Corinth. We live with challenges and with difficulties in a world that is pursuing its own self. And Jesus is calling us to live for him. It's easy to give in to the temptations of the world. It's easy to ignore the hard things. It's, it's easy to leave people where they are instead of loving them into the family of God. It's easier to pursue pleasure sometimes than it is to resist it. And so in the same way, we're similar to the Corinthians. But our hearts need to be continually changed and formed with an encounter with God as we sing his praises, we gather with the community, and we reflect on and study his word. Paul says this one last time, to be alert, be watchful, It's a command that he gives. It's a way of life. And it's the way to life. So in these last thoughts on Corinthians, he wants to give them words to encourage them and a challenge and remind them of who they are. These new believers, they've been made new. His friends, his brothers and sisters, he's encouraging them. So the first thing Paul says to them is to be alert and give generously. If you look at verse 1, it says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, even if it seems advisable that I should go also. They will accompany me. So what's going on here is that there's been a famine in Jerusalem, and Paul has been collecting resources for those who are in need. And this collection for the saints reminds us that part of being alert is remembering those who are in need. He's asking the church in Galatia to do the same thing. He gives these simple instructions. He says, each of you, which means every single one of you, put something aside so that it can be brought in on the first day of of the week. This means Paul doesn't uh, want to be doing this when he, uh, when he comes. He wants them to take ownership of this responsibility. Each one of you is to gather some of the resources that you have to make provision to give to those who are in need. So it gets you into a rhythm in an ongoing weekly pattern of being generous. This indicates that our giving ought to be planned. We should think in advance, not just as an afterthought, Oh, I'll just throw whatever in the plate. We don't pass the plate anymore, right? We have a QR code and a gift way of doing it. But it's for you to think about what are the ways that God has encouraged me with the resources I've been given to give generously. He says, as he may prosper or in accordance with his income. To those who've been entrusted much, much is required. It's not a flat tax. It's not a fee. But it's rather something that should be done from the heart 
Elsewhere, in another letter to the Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 2, he writes, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Um, the word is hilarion, right? Which is where we get the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Someone who gives so generously and joyfully that it's just what they do. Being alert means giving generously to those who are in need. And yes, we need to give to the work of Woodland Church and the work of the ministry here to support our staff and our mission and the property that we have and the programs that we have, but we're especially called to be a blessing to give to others, to give to other communities. Notice that Paul's not saying give to the church in Corinth. He's saying give to the church in Jerusalem because they're experiencing a challenge and a difficulty. And so each month, our mission committee gets together and thinks through how do we use the resources that the session has entrusted to them to make the most impact, certainly in our community, in other countries, and even among people who don't have access to the gospel. How do we do that? When you give generously to Wilden, part of what you're doing is supporting ministries to people who are in need. You're giving to the church in Corinth, which then goes to help the church in Jerusalem, which is in a famine. And that's what we're doing together. We support ministries like the Neighborhood Christian Center, Kingdom Community Builders, or trying to uh, help a church plant begin in Birmingham, or with Syrian refugees in Lebanon. So Paul says, be alert and give generously. Make it your plan of your life to give hilariously. Being alert also means being connected to others. Look at verse 4, being connected to others. If it seems advisable to you, I should go also. They will accompany me. They means those Corinthians who have accredited the letter for the gift the gift that is going to be given to the church in Jerusalem. Notice that Paul is not the one taking the money. Someone from the Corinthian churches. Paul goes on. Maybe you will help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want you to see now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Part of what Paul is doing is always inviting people into the ministry with him. Inviting people to connect with him. Being in relationship. And so a great way to be alert or to be watchful is to share your life with other people. See, when you're tired, others can watch over you. When you're worn down and you need to wake up, someone can come alongside. And when they're tired, you can come alongside them to encourage them. This life is not meant to be lived alone, and yet many, many people in our country are lonely. I just read a report from uh, 2023 from the U.S. Surgeon General. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It's associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. It's even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. Being lonely is harmful. And there's lots of reasons why people are so disconnected today, but we see from Paul how important it was for him to be in relationship with others. He wants to see the Corinthians. He's invested in Timothy. He's going to be with them. He, uh, he's wanting to encourage them to be in relationship with Apollos. He talks about Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. He says in verse 18, they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Also Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, many of you are busy with life. 
and you have much to do. And maybe you have had um, experienced hurt from different relationships. Has anybody ever been hurt in a relationship? <laughs> Say yes, somebody. <laughs> right? Uh, maybe you sometimes feel like you don't fit in to the group. There's a million reasons that we could provide for not wanting to engage in life with others. And I'm not saying any of those reasons aren't legitimate. But it doesn't change the fact that we are still called to engage in relationship, to, to be connected. And I know all the extroverts in the room are like, oh, yeah, this is great. But look, I know introverts long for and need relationships. You may get recharged being alone, but you're designed and wired for relationships too. As an introvert, maybe you're thinking right now the sermon is getting a little bit too people but you need to be in relationship. You need to be known by others. You need to be connected. And that's increasingly difficult in the world in which we live. You see, the thing is, friends, that the church is not a worship service. The church is not a building. The church is a people who gather in a building for corporate worship. And so part of what we do is to connect and to be in relationship with each other. And coming on Sunday is an important component of your spiritual journey. But so is that conversation that happens in the foyer. So is coming to BFF and hanging out with us this week and eating meals. Or serving in some other way. Or saying, I want to be part of this church vitality vision and give my feedback and be in relationship and have an ownership stake in this community. All those things lead to your flourishing and to your benefit. And they bring out the best of what the church is supposed to be. It's a community of people who encourage and love each other. You spend time just talking and laughing and crying and learning and serving. Remember from uh, chapter 13 that love is an action. Paul says, let all you do be done in love. Loving people means being in relationship with them. Loving people means encouraging them, caring for them, teaching them, serving them. In doing so, we, we realize how much we have to learn about life and faith and God. And it's by stepping into a place, maybe where you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you don't know what to do. But hey, isn't it a blessing? So I want to commend Brian this morning for offering the pastoral prayer for the first time. Russell said, would you do the prayer? And he said, yes. How'd that feel? Probably a little bit nerve-wracking, but well done. The choir sang a new song this morning, and it was beautiful. Stepping into new areas. Uh, one time, uh, Parker Couch, uh, who happens to be sitting right over there, and Missy, who are here, we're glad to have you. And the Porteras are here as well. Where are they? Somewhere around? There we go. Got some, some guests returned home. Parker was a school director at Grizzlies Prep where he and Missy uh, were, were serving. And he said, hey, will you come down and be a lunch buddy? And I was like, well, I eat lunch every single day. So I can do that, right? That's something I can do. And so Jason and I, Jason Mendoza, we went down to Grizz Prep and just had lunch with uh, some kids. And... You know, we would talk with them about life and faith and just what they were interested in, and, and, uh, and it was a great experience. Uh, we would go down together, and then we'd get to hang out with Parker and see what God was doing at Grizz Prep. Uh, and here's something that I learned, though, is one of the things that they, uh, we had a training uh, session for all mentors, and so I went to this training session, and during the training they said, I want you to get out a little piece of paper and to write down with a pencil Write down on the paper, what's the worst thing you've ever done? I'm like, well, 
I'm going to write that down? I don't know what it is, but man, I'm like, what? So like, no, yeah, write it down. Take a moment. So I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm going to write something down. I'm thinking, what, 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 what are we going to do with this piece of paper here? Are we handing this in? <laughs> is this a test? <laughs> you get to be a mentor if it's not too bad. Uh, so, you know, you write it down. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do with this? I'm super uncomfortable. And everyone's just kind of like, And they said, you need to be careful about when you talk with students in this context about their lives. If you ask too many questions about where they're from, what they do, what their family is like, it can make them feel really anxious because they don't know you and they don't trust you. And if you ask too many questions, it can put them in a place where they're going to shut down. So just go and talk and have lunch, and get to know them. And I thought, man, I, I never really thought about that. Because I'm the kind of person that's like, hey, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Do you like sports? And asking all these questions, and I realized, if I'm doing that, then I'm not loving them in a way that they need to be loved. That was something that I, I learned, and it was so helpful for me. And it was only because I said to, yes to Parker, hey, I'll go have lunch. So when you step into service, when you step into loving a person, you're going to realize there's things that you don't know. You don't know things about them. You don't know things about how to do it. And you know what? It's okay to not know. But it's not okay to not step in and to say yes when God invites you. Not that Parker's not God. I know that. But God used Parker. And he's used so many other people in my life to say, hey, will you do this? And that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of nervousness that's there, just to say, I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to say yes and step in to service. That's what loving people looks like. So I don't know what it is in your life where God is inviting you into ministry, into service, but there's somewhere. There's something. There's something that's come across your path. Someone's inviting you in a new way to step into something different and challenging. And here's the thing. You may do it and like it, and you may say, this isn't for me. I want to go do something else. But whatever it is, respond. I mean, who are the people around you that need a friend? Who are the people that need to be encouraged, right? We know what True What Kathy says about who needs to be encouraged. You know how you can tell someone who needs to be encouraged? They're breathing, right? So is anyone breathing around you, right? Give them a mint and say, here, I need to encourage you. Just encourage people. Look around your life. Look around the city. Does our city need to be encouraged? Do we need hope in our city? Do we need people entering in, teaching kids how to read and, and saying, you matter, you're important? Man, yeah, we do. And whose responsibility is that? Is it the government's job? I don't know. I think it's the church's job. And who's the church? We are. So let's step into that. The next thing that says about being alert, I think, is verse 15 through 18. Paul says being alert is subjecting yourself to those who are devoted. Look at verse 15 and 18. He says, now I urge you, Brothers and sisters, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people." 
So the household of Stephanus came to know the Lord and have since become devoted servants of the saints. It means, the word means, is, uh, the word is tasso, which means to give yourself to doing something in a systematic way. The household of Stephanus has given themselves to serving the people of God. It's what they do. So what does that look like? Well, we don't really know what, what their ministry was. But it was likely that they were praying for and encouraging and teaching and loving all of those who were part of the church. So much so that Paul says, I rejoice at their coming. Paul suggests that believers should, should then subject themselves to people who are faithfully encouraging them in the faith. And subject yourself is the word upotasso. So note there's the same root word here, tasso and upotasso. Here, upotasso is to give yourself, to subject yourself to the person who's giving themselves to you. What a great concept. The people who want to encourage you in the faith, to bless you and to help you to grow, you should submit yourself to them because they have your best interest in heart. They want to see you grow in Christ and in faith in such a way that you would then become a person who's able to serve and encourage someone else. And we live in an increasingly individualistic culture where depending on someone else or even submitting yourself to someone Counting on someone, allowing someone to access your life and your heart, that's on the decline. Setting our own course, living my own life, self-sufficiency, that's on the incline. And what, to what has it led? Paul is saying, subject yourselves to those who are devoted to serving God and you. Because in doing so, you're going to be corrected, you're going to be counseled, you're going to be loved, you're going to be encouraged. Paul says in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we see this most beautifully and wonderfully through the person of Jesus. Jesus had all the power in the world. He's the most wise, faithful person who's ever lived. And yet he submitted himself to the Father in relationship. Jesus gave us this wonderful example to live. It points to the glory of God and Jesus' humility, his grace, but then it also moves us to say if Jesus, who's the greatest of all time, would submit himself to the Father, then what does it look like for me to submit myself to another person who has my best interest spiritually at heart? So who are those people in your life that you're submitting yourself to, that you're subjecting yourself to? Do you have mentors who are farther along in the faith than you, who have said and walked the path that you are trying to walk, but it just may be 5, 10, 20 years ahead of you. I have a number of pastors that I'm in relationship with that we meet and we recognize. I have my friends who are we're all on the same kind of life stage and everything. We connect with each other, but I have some guys who are older and wiser and want to encourage me. And I'll say, what do you do in this situation? How do I navigate this matter? And they've been so helpful. And to seek them out. And I've always found that people are very interested and open to saying, I would, I'd be happy to meet with you. I'd be, well, I would gladly do that. Go to others for wisdom. And finally, then Paul offers these last, uh, these last greetings. Look at verse uh, 19. It says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. We're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to do that. Everybody, it's going to be great. Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. So to greet someone is just to employ a certain set of phrases. It's a process of connecting, whether communicated directly or indirectly. To greet could mean an official uh, visit or uh, to a high dignitary. It can mean to visit someone with your very presence, to greet someone. Paul mentions that Aquila and Prisca send greetings. They were from, from Corinth. Uh, in Romans, Paul said, My fellow workers in Christ who risked their necks for my life. This is who he's talking about, Prisca and Aquila. So he met them in Corinth. They had to leave because of conflict. They left to go to Rome because of this edict of Claudius. And they became fellow workers with Paul, he says. So that means they spent a bunch of time together in Ephesus. And maybe it was there during the ride of that city, possibly that appears in Acts chapter 19, that they literally stuck their necks out for Paul. What does that mean? Maybe they risked their lives. Maybe because the, the governing authorities wanted to get Paul and to kill him. And maybe they put themselves in a situation where they were at risk personally for Paul. But now they're in relationship. Is there anybody in your life that has put their neck out for you? that has put themselves in a position. This is a phrase that we, we use to uh, we say, someone went on a limb for me. They gave me a recommendation when I needed a job. They supported me when I was struggling and I needed encouragement. They were coaching me and they were encouraging me. Or they even gave me money when I was in a desperate situation. Paul says, they stuck their necks out for me. Have they saved his life? I don't know. Literally, maybe. Figuratively, Maybe. But for whatever reason, these people were so vital to Paul. But you know the old saying, it says, if you want a friend, be a friend. And that's what all of Corinthians has been about. Through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, it's about us working through relationships. Being a follower of Jesus means sharing these deep kinds of friendships with others. It's not as easy as it used to be. Think about loneliness and what I was saying before. We're more isolated Loneliness is this gap between the level of connectedness that I want and that I actually have. And here's the thing about loneliness. In small doses, it's a good thing. You know that feeling when you feel thirsty? That's a good thing to have. Because it's your body communicating to you that you need water. You need to be hydrated. And so you're having that feeling of thirst. It points to something important. The feeling of loneliness is an indicator, is a symptom that you need to be in community. So if you're thirsty and you don't drink water, you're making a big mistake. If you're lonely and you don't step into community, step into relationship, you're making a big mistake. So Paul is saying, be alert to these struggles. Be alert to this reality. If you're lonely, move toward people. Walk outside your house. Come to Sunday school. Have dinner with us at BFF. Watch the children run around. Offer some help in a simple way. Be a person who is praying for this ministry. See, the antidote to real feelings of loneliness is authentic Christian community. And that takes time. It takes risk. But it is worth it. And so for Paul, ultimately, all this is possible as we think about and meditate on what Jesus has done for us. 
You see, recognizing our need, recognizing that we were alone in the wilderness, Jesus left the glory of heaven. He left the fullness of relationship that he had with God the Father to enter into a lonely experience, not just to give us an example, but to rescue us and redeem us, to become, to invite us into relationship. So not only would we have a relationship with God, but that we could be fully present with each other. Because then we would have the tools to be able to live in community. Because if you're in community, if you're in relationship, you're going to have conflict. And what has Paul been saying to us all throughout Corinthians? It takes love. Chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is an action. Chapter chapter 5. Sexual immorality. What do healthy sexual relationships look like? Chapter 6. Lawsuits among believers. How to work through conflict in a healthy way. Chapter 7, dealing with marriage. How do we have healthy marriages in our community? Chapter 8, how do differing, differing viewpoints. The whole chapter is about what you can or cannot eat. It is actually reported <laughs> that there is sexual immorality among you. We're going to have a Bible. This is a Quaker service, and everyone's got a word. It's fine. It happened to me for my watch a while back. Remember that? It's being a loving community and, and being in relationship. And being part of a fellowship. So think about this. What, you know, I don't know how long. Does anyone know when Starbucks opened up? I, I went to the original one in, in Seattle. And it's kind of an interesting thing because there's a Starbucks in Seattle that's the original one. And it's got this massively long line. And then like two blocks over is another Starbucks. Same menu, same everything. But everyone wants to go to the original one. You can go to the other one and, and pay $10 for a cup of coffee here just as easily as you can pay $10 for a cup of coffee here. But what did Starbucks do? It took something that we were willing to pay 50 cents for and created an experience. It created a community. It created a feeling that you have when you go in because it wasn't just walking through a line and getting a cup of coffee. There are couches. There are couches. There are chairs. There are spaces for you to gather and be in relationship, to have conversation, you know, to work on your computer and, and write a paper or to think about something. It, it gave you a sense that experiencing coffee was way more valuable than just 50 cents. So that's why they charge you eight bucks, and you're like, I'm so happy. I mean, you can't get out of there for 20 bucks if you get some food and a cup of coffee because it's valuable. How much more valuable should the church be to us that we have authentic relationships, that we have friendships that go just beyond getting caffeinated, and we've got coffee out there. It doesn't taste like Starbucks, but we've got coffee out there. But we have something more than that. We have deep fellowship and relationship. And so was, when Paul is writing this letter to them, he's doing this. I said this at the very beginning of the sermon. And this, remember, we contrasted Galatians with Corinthians. Because Galatians, Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? If anyone does this, they're anathema. He's like fired up about them. To the Corinthians, who are like total pagan uh, corrupt people, he says, I love you. Now, both of those groups needed to hear a certain message. Sometimes we need to hear Galatians, but sometimes we need to hear Corinthians. And Paul is saying, come into the community of faith. Take your next step in embracing God through the family of God and be blessed. So here's the question for you. What is your next step? It's not enough just to listen to the sermon and to go, that was a good sermon. I give it a seven. 
is to say, what is Jesus saying to you? What is the next step that you can take to enter into obedience as a result of what he's been saying to you? That's where we find joy. That's where we find life. So I want to encourage you to take that step. And the sooner you take that step, today, tomorrow, this week, the better. Because then you're going to see God show up in your life. Take the opportunity and enter in. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.